Hey everyone, this is a K-pop chat episode, so it means it was recorded uh, via mobile, so the audio production quality isn't as high as our usual episodes, but it is a really awesome discussion on the topic of access journalism in K-pop. Um, we'll be back again next week with some higher production value stuff uh, in a little bit, and then we've got our big year-end episodes, so stay tuned for that for the rest of the year 2021. Anyway, enjoy this conversation. Okay, so welcome everyone to the K-pop chat. Uh, K-pop chat is a weekly uh, Twitter Spaces conversation space or Twitter Spaces space, whatever you call it, uh, where we talk about things in and around the world of K-pop. We do some softball, casual stuff, um, as well as some hard-hitting <laughs> topics from time to time. So uh, we're here to talk about uh, the topic of access journalism in K-pop. Um, so just to set some ground rules first, uh, we want to be both a public venue and a safe space. So you don't have to agree with everything that the speakers are saying, but we just ask that you respect uh, their point of view and participate in the discussion from the perspective of trying to come at a solution. Um, so in other words, that's to say we, we don't tolerate ad hominem attacks and, and whatnot. So if we see that, we're just going to ignore or uh, mute it if, if we ever come across it. Not that we've seen it yet. But that's just the warning. Um, and speakers, we, we're interested in getting even line distribution. So uh, if you look at your little heart icon on the bottom and you scroll over to the right, there should be like a hand raising reaction. It should look like like that. I don't know if you guys can if you guys can all show me that you know how to do that. So if you just raise your hand. Okay, great. Cool. Uh, so Jenna's the other one. I saw you do the wave, so if you want to do the hand Oh my gosh. Race. Why can I never figure out which one it is? Um, Wait, this one? Anyway. No, no. I, you know, maybe it's not on your... Yeah, on sometimes your... some people don't have it. Okay, okay. Well, I can see that just about everyone else has it. Jenna will look for you when you do the, the wave <laughs> okay. motion. So we'll know to cue you up as a speaker. So you can lower your hands, everyone. That's for me, for... Uh, myself and I suppose Alexis to to slap me on the wrist if I forget someone um, if we need to have someone speak um, up next. Um, so um, let, let's kick this off. So in K-pop circles, access journalism has traditionally been met with compromises on virtually all sides. Fans want something new but aren't welcoming of the coverage which critiques or presents a less ideal image of their idols. Publicity teams want positive coverage and lots of it from leading publications, uh, but they also want coverage to be on message. And journalists want to maintain objective integrity, say something new, and not sacrifice anyone with either PR teams or their fans, um, or idol fans, or, or uh, artist fans, I, I mean to say. So what has that meant in outcomes, in coverage? When individuals break from the system, what happens? What should we be asking for or doing as fans to create a more healthy system? So we've assembled a few speakers here to discuss this topic. I'm going to ask everyone to introduce themselves as they appear in the order on my screen. So that means, um, Alexis, you're, you're up first. Oh, and if you just want to introduce yourself and, and why this topic matters to you. Yeah. Hi, everyone. My name is Alexis. I'm the music and features editor at Remascla. Um, I'm a journalist. I've written a lot about K-pop. I've interviewed a bunch of idols and why this matters to me because I've been participant in it. I've 
been on the receiving end of like just the BS that goes on with like setting up interviews with your favorite K-pop idol. So that's why I'm here. Ooh. And perhaps maybe a little bit more liberated to speak freely now that you're on a different beat. Yes. <laughs> I mean, not that I wasn't, you know, tweeting about it as I was, but as I was still writing about it. But but yeah, definitely now I just don't feel like anyone can touch me. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So up next, we've got uh, Raquel. Hi, guys. First of all, thank you so much for making me a speaker. Um, I'm a media personality out of Miami, Florida. Uh, my YouTube channel is dedicated to K-pop. I've recently been getting into a lot of, you know, the interview space, interviewing a lot of K-pop groups. Um, I'm also a radio personality on Sirius XM on Fridays. I'm on Pitbull's Globalization. So I come from more from the radio background. So it's really interesting for me to kind of hear what you guys say in uh, the differences in the different mediums, for sure. Great. Welcome, Raquel. And then Sarah, you're up next. Hey, everyone. Uh, I'm Sarah on social media. I go by Young Ajima, and I am a podcast hoster and interviewer. Uh, I write for publications like The Craze Mag and A1 Radio, and I have done an interview a time or two. Um, this is very important to me because I come from a background where either I'm doing everything on my own as far as reaching out to media companies uh, for interviews for my podcast or for A1 Radio. And uh, yeah, I'm happy to be here and excited to learn. Welcome, Sarah. So glad to have you. Um, and up next, we've got Virginia. Hi, everyone. I'm Virginia Duan, also known as Mandarin Mama. I'm the entertainment editor for Mochi Magazine, which is the longest running online uh, magazine for Asian American women. And um, I also run a K-pop reaction channel. And uh, I guess this is important to me because one day I would like to interview BTS. And one of my main questions is if they are interested in a polyamorous relationship with myself, my husband, and my four children. So um, that's very important to me that that question can go through. Um, so yes, thank you. I'm done speaking. Hey, welcome, Virginia. Uh, Sarah, do we have you? Is your internet working? Hey, I think so. Can you hear me? Yep, we can hear you. Okay, I'm sorry, I missed like pretty much everything. So, um, are we just introducing ourselves? Or? Yes. Now, now we can. Now that you're here, Sarah, we can really get this started. So, yes, please go ahead and introduce yourself. Oh my goodness, no pressure or anything. Um, <laughs> my name is Sarah Raleigh. Um, I'm an author, academic, and a freelance journalist. I've published in uh, Teen Vogue, NBC, CBC. Um, the Washington Post, and I have a book coming out uh, called The Bones of Ruin, um, set in the 19th century. It's kind of like alternate history fantasy, and uh, it comes out September 7th. So everybody go order it. Um, I think this is going to be a really enlightening chat, um, and I'm excited to see a lot of journalists uh, in the space. So I'm excited to hear what people say. Cool. And then up next, we've got Lily. Hi, guys. Um, I'm not really sure how to introduce myself this time. Um, I'm technically a music business professional who has done journalism work, um, especially within the K-pop space. But I haven't done it as extensively as some of my peers in this group have. Um, so 
So I really look up to a lot of the people in here, but I did study journalism PR um, in school for the last four years. So I feel like I know a lot about the topic um, and I, I still am aspiring to be a music publicist one day and especially within the K-pop field. So I'm really excited to hear everyone's thoughts about everything that we're talking about tonight. Nice. And uh, Jenna, you're up next. Hi, everyone. Um, my name is Jenna. I host a podcast uh, to challenge sexism in the music industry and empower fangirls. So it's not specific to K-pop, but we have had two episodes recently dedicated to K-pop. Um, one featuring Stephanie from the K-pop cast, kind of looking at K-pop from the Western lens, um, examining why there's so much stigma around it. And then also recently we were talking about the billboard charts and what was going on with BTS and all of that. And I have a background in journalism and PR as well. So yeah, I'm excited for the chat and to hear what everyone has to say. Welcome, Jenna. And then uh, Saeed? I, I finally I, we can hear from you and you can let us know if we're not pronouncing your name correctly hi <laughs> yes you're pronouncing my name right hi everyone i'm syed um i run the genius korea account which is part of the lyric website genius and um, we are fairly new so we have we still haven't um gotten as many artists and inter relations interactions with managements and stuff like other people have in here and i really look up to a lot of the journalists here in the space today but in my experience the artist relations whole thing is a very complicated web of just it's just really complex so i'm really excited to listen to everybody else's experience with this well welcome syed and um Lai, I really enjoyed your Somi interview. <laughs> Speaking of the topic, welcome, Lai. Hey, guys. Um, hope everyone's well. I'm I'm Lai. I'm a freelance journalist that writes for a couple of outlets. Um, and just like Alexis said, uh, has interviewed some of the idols. Um, and then I guess I can just say I'm a tech kid by day and a K-pop kid by night because... My nine to five is I'm a social producer for CNET, uh, doing some videos. Um, and if you follow them on TikTok, your my face will pop up. But I'm uh, glad to be here. Um, I will chime in wherever I can. But really, I'm here for the vibe. So nice to hear and talk to everyone here. Thank you. Thank you, Lai. And last but not least of our speakers, we've got Natasha. Hi, everyone. Can you hear me? We can hear you. Awesome. So, oh, this is my first space, so bear with me. Um, I'm Natasha Malanga. I'm a freelance journalist. I've written for uh, Teen Vogue, British Vogue, uh, the Grammys and NME, just to name a few. I'm currently doing my master's in journalism. I kind of fell asleep right now on my laptop on top of my dissertations. And if I sound like I am delirious from sleep, it is because it is 1.30 a.m. But I wanted to be here. So I'm just excited to hear what everyone has to say. Oh, and I also run this K-pop podcast on being a Black girl fan in this wonderful, wonderful world of K-pop. So, yeah, I'm just excited to be here. 
Thank you so much for staying up late, Natasha. Um, it means you get preferential treatment in, in speaking order. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, okay. please. It's fine. Okay. Well, I think we're, we're all going to give you the benefit of the doubt if uh, you're, you're feeling tired or, or less coherent. We're just going to assume it's something um, exceptionally brilliant and uh, we're, we're just not at the level yet. Anyway, so first question for this week's conversation. What are some of the stories or angles that you've always wanted to tell but couldn't just given the dynamics of access journalism? Oh, and I, if I don't remember if I defined it earlier, but for the sake of this uh, conversation, we're, we're choosing to find access journalism as journalism, which prioritizes access, meaning uh, media time with idols, um, and that, that prioritization deprioritizes um, typically objectivity or integrity, <laughs> frankly speaking, and given access to the idol and the controlled nature of how it is often brought about, external is often lauded as being like just PR for a company or brand. So it's uh, another way to, I guess, put that is like a free advertisement, um, which uh, harnesses the legitimacy that might come with uh, earned media um, hit or coverage. Um, Alexis, I, are you... Maybe you wanted to correct me on something there. Go ahead. Yeah. Um, I mean, I feel like a lot of people on the panel know my God 7 um, story by now. So I'm going to pick another one because there's just like a binder full of like all these um, stories. Right. So um, I'm going to talk about one that I had to go through with Ken Daniel, actually. Because when that um, interview was set up was right uh, when he was promoting, um, damn, what was the name of that song? To You? You Too? To You? Ugh. Anyway, his comeback from his hiatus. And it, it he had this whole thing where he went away because of his mental health. It was very public. And this was his grand return, right? And as I'm setting up this interview and, you know, playing nice with the, with the, with the rep, I'm telling them that I, that, you know, I have to talk about this because, you know, like, how are you going to sit down for an interview and promote like your return? And it's like, you know, this big thing, but you don't want to talk about the reason why you went away or how you're, you know, like update people. And it was just like <laughs> a lot of back and forth of first having to explain and, and pitch why this needs to be in the story. And then also just like passing the verbiage of how you're gonna ask your question with the rep and like getting them to okay it. It was, it was a lot. Um, I mean, it got approved at the end, which, you know, sometimes it doesn't, <laughs> sometimes it's just like, no, and that's it. So at least, you know, there was room. Um, I don't think that it should have been <laughs> that big of a deal that I had to like, you know, be sending how I'm, I was going to word my question, but that happened. And, you know, at the end of the day, I was happy with it. And I feel like if, when you're a journalist, especially in the speed, um, it's kind of like what you, you're comfortable with doing. And I think that for that story, I was comfortable with doing that just because I felt like that question was worth fighting for and kind of like meeting them, not exactly halfway, but like 
getting them where I wanted them to be. Yeah, thank you for that, Alexa. So I didn't see anyone else raise their hand, so feel free uh, put your hand up if you have response to that question. Again, the question is, what are some of the stories or angles that you wanted to tell that couldn't, just given the the, the dynamics of uh, access journalism in the situation? Um, I'll read uh, a comment that Tasia Aziz gave to me ahead of this chat, who said that um, often she's wanted to cover angles about departures of members or just bans, changes in labels, things like that. But uh, maybe comes without a surprise, but, but that those questions and angles are, are often declined um, by the rep. And Sarah, go ahead. Yeah, I think there have been times when I've wanted to, um, or when I've tried to pitch stories that are a bit more critical of groups and their behaviors or fandoms and their behaviors. Um, for example, um, if a group does something particularly problematic, um, you know, you never know if your pitch is rejected just because it's not going to pitch or the editor just doesn't think it's a good fit or if it's because that editor needs to maintain a good relationship with either the fan base or the group or the group's company or all of the above. And so, you know, having um, writing stories that are a bit too hard hitting or a bit too critical, especially uh, certain groups of so certain groups um, can be a no-no. But it's, it's kind of like you never really know as a freelance journalist because you're just given that rejection or, or you never hear a response back. So it, it's like a continuous question in your mind. Yeah, and to clarify, Sarah, so that that's a pitch to uh, an editor at a publication, right? Right. Are yes. You often, yes. And ahead of that, are you pitching um, representatives to to get access to like maybe an idol to to talk about the issue, or this would this be more of like a, a well, story that you're largely? It's just a, a story. Uh, could be just a new story, an opinion editorial, um, and you could say like I have a group of people that I can interview about this or that I like to interview about this but it could just be difficult um I mean the idea needs to sort of go through to the editor and the publisher first and foremost mm -hmm. okay well I'm gonna just remind the audience here Thank you for that, Sarah. I, sorry, I just want to reset the room here for a second. So, um, audience members, if you have questions or comments on this topic, you can tweet them along using the hashtag #KpopChat. So you will see that we pinned a tweet from Liz um, here, and uh, we can start um, factoring and adding them in to the conversation. So, uh, go ahead, uh, Said. Hi. Can you hear me? Yep, we can hear you. Okay. So at Genius, we focus on like lyrical content. So I've had times when I've reached out to managements where I want to talk about a song that the idol might have co-written and I've it, it's been rejected, which is very interesting to me because if the idol has written, has in fact written the song, they would have a better insight on the meaning behind it or the inspiration behind it but the reps or the managements want 
um, just the title talk to be promoted and nothing else to be talked about in terms of the B-sides or um, even if the song has been written by in-house by the artist in collaboration with like other people. So that's really interesting. I mean, is there something to be <laughs> like, are they trying to hide something or is the credit not legitimate or something like that? But it's just interesting how even if the idol has contributed to the song, they don't want to talk about it and just promote the title track, which has been co-written and produced by other people. And the idol has like no contribution to it. Yeah. Yeah. It might have to do with how the PR teams are contracted out <laughs> or the internal PR contact is trying to tell a story and maybe they have their own uh, coverage goals. Speaking as a tech PR professional, I'm actually gonna, also going to invite uh, Nicholas here, who I can see does PR in industry to be a, join us on stage as a speaker. And uh, Natasha, go ahead. Hi. Um, well, it, it's funny how Alexa says she wasn't going to tell her Got7 story, so I can tell mine. Um, so I, I interviewed Got7 for uh, ELE magazine, which I guess is kind of in conjunction with Rolling Stone career last year. And it, we went round in circles to the point where I almost lost the interview. And that's because I wanted to ask Got7 about their Black Lives Matter donations. And considering the fact that, you know, it had been very public that Mark had been one of the first people to donate. Uh, I believe that JB had said something, Jackson eventually donated. And I can't remember which other member had said something, but it was very common knowledge. It was put in several articles, especially in regards to Mark. And they didn't want it spoken about at all. And we argued back and forth until they said, if you mention it at all, they will will take the interview away. And there was also a situation where I wasn't allowed to uh, mention that Jackson was from Hong Kong or that Mark was a US citizen or that Bam Bam was from Thailand. And again, I found it very confusing because it's like, but the fans know that they're not from South Korea. So that I guess, I don't know if there's a certain image that they wanted to put out. And so we had to do a negotiation about, can we frame the question like this? Or can we just allude to the fact that they donate to certain causes before it, that question was allowed to go through? So I, I guess learning from everyone else in here will maybe give me a better understanding of why that's even a thing. Oof, that story just gave me my own, like, war flashbacks, <laughs> <laughs> particularly with that group. Oh, yeah, it was, it was battle. So um, I, I don't work in entertainment PR, but uh, speaking in tech PR, if I, if I had a hazard a guess, um, they probably don't want coverage that... Um, it throws the idol into geopolitical politics uh, that can be very quickly weaponized against them, even if the intentions are good. So 
um, Jackson uh, talking about Hong Kong, even though it is public knowledge, for example, that is a very politically fraught topic. Um, I mean, if you just look, for example, if you look at uh, Suyi from uh, Twice, and I think she was asked on an interview once, like, are you from Taiwan? And she's like, yes, I'm from Taiwan. That like just kind of got her canceled by China <laughs> uh, for, for that acknowledgement. Um, just, you know, given how that market um, looks at that topic. Um, so it probably the label didn't want to uh, get themselves, uh, expose themselves to that risk. Um, but I mean, that's tough, Natasha. Like, I, I wonder, like, do you have the power, for example, to say, like, I'm just going to write this, <laughs> like, regardless of like what happens uh, at the interview. I don't, I don't know if you've ever. Um, I'm incredibly, incredibly stubborn, especially, um, which I, I'm not encouraging other people to be. So normally I don't actually agree too tough to actually have my questions vetted. Um, so mm, I don't think I have anything that wise to say regarding it, but th that was, that was probably the only situation where I had to have every single question approved. And uh, there was about, I think five that weren't, but I don't know, because maybe the intersection of the intersection of blackness and K-pop is so important to me. I was really fighting for that that one particular question, especially since it had, I think it had only been maybe four months since the, the protests had happened. Yeah, well, I, by the way, like coming from Tech PR, it's just so weird, this notion of like having questions approved, like we never do that in the tech space. We'll, we'll maybe ask to determine the topic, but never ask for questions in advance. But um, Jenna, did you, Raise your hand. Yes. Yeah. Um, so coming from from podcasting and like our, our whole MO is like, you know, challenging sexes in the music industry. And we've often expanded that trying to in, be a more intersectional feminist scope. And feminism isn't something that's necessarily a welcome topic within K-pop. Um, but but even just considering like interviewing different groups and stuff, um, one of the people who like helps us book artists like had like a contact with like one of the fourth gen groups and we were kind of like they're so new we don't even know if they'd be allowed to talk about anything that we would want to really talk to them about so i think there is like that kind of barrier as you all have mentioned with PR wanting to approve questions. Um, and I think that plays in a lot with Western audiences because Western audiences are craving this like authentic like authenticity and like these real connections. Um, and that's something that's still very guarded when it comes to the PR side of things, which is interesting because you do get to see so much of them as people when they do their YouTube content and they do behind the scenes things. So it's interesting that like specifically when it comes to journalism, it is very kind of guarded in that way. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't know how much of this dynamic is, is known to a lot of the members of the audience, but a lot of our speakers are talking about this aspect of um, having questions approved uh, ahead of an interview. 
um, which I mean really directly gets at this topic of access journalism that uh, access to interview with the artist is very conditional um, on the conditions that the questions are going to be um, on message to promote the current lead single or whatever it is that they're <laughs> they're there to do their press round um, about. Um, and that, of course, detracts from these other stories that we probably want to tell. So um, I want to raise a tweet by Taylor at Tiffany Yeri, who tweets, if you guys want to ask certain questions but aren't allowed, uh, do you find other ways to vent and talk about it on podcasts, blogs, etc.? What do you guys think? 1,000%. Yeah, yes. go ahead, Lai. Hey, guys. Um, for me, personally, um, I I guess it depends on what outlet I have. But um, usually I talk in, to other journalists and writers who are either interviewing the same artists as me or um, obviously had the same experience. Um, in regards to this, because um, obviously everyone's experiencing, right? And we usually just vent it out or we try and figure out ways or strategize on how to, to, to figure out what do we do moving forward after this one incident, right? Um, but for me personally, when I actually get into these interviews, I don't need, you know, when whenever PR people or, or representatives from labels ask me for questions, I, I immediately say no. Um, because obviously for everyone here um, who, who, you know, who's in the journalism industry, that's against journalism ethics. So for me, what I usually do is I just give them like main short, short to the point, uh, like talking points. And from there, that's where I go in and ask them straight up. And sometimes Every now and then, the artists themselves, they're free to talk about it, which is great. And sometimes you could tell that they were media trained in, in the case that they were going to be asked these questions. Uh, they know how to beat around the bush. So it's just a matter of you as the interviewer or you as the writer to be straight up forward and just be adamant uh, to, to ask that question. But for me, I... I guess sometimes I go on the K-pop cast, whatever you ask me, Peter, uh, and, you know, I say things off the record or um, we give hints about it or even things with KCON when we're on panels and we do talk about our interviews and, and our experiences. That's where we, we talk about it. Um, but I usually do it in private uh, because, you know, we know that, you know, these artists and their labels and their reps, like they could be following us. So you don't want to damage your image as well because you are a public facing person. So, um, but yeah, you could, you could exp uh, express it as any way you want, but uh, obviously you just, just want to be careful. But yeah, I'm, I, I'm always down to just talk about it any way possible. Sorry for rambling. I'm done speaking. Thank you. <laughs> oh, no, all good lie. Thank you. And, and just, Point of clarification for people in the audience: the media training, what Lai is referring to, is this process that PR people often go through to train their spokespeople. Often, what frankly I'll do. <laughs> uh, sorry, some inside baseball here. Um, you know, you can kind of anticipate what the hard questions will be, and you kind of coach your spokesperson. Like you'll pretend to be a journalist, and you'll kind of coach them. Like, oh, I'm going to ask this question. How are you going to deflect this? Here are some of the uh, transition words and phrases that you can use to then pivot to the thing that you really want to talk about. 
Um, so we'll we'll go Natasha, Sarah, then Jenna. So go ahead, Natasha. Uh, yeah, I was just going to say um, I'm more similar to Lyon that I will find the journalists who are also interviewing the the same groups around the same time, and we'll just all vent together. So going back to my Got Seven story, that's what myself and a few other girls did, just vented out because. I, for me also, I, I don't know who's listening. If, even with my podcast, sometimes I just don't feel comfortable to uh, to say everything that got on my nerves because if I did, it would be a very long rant. But, um, yeah, also, I just give talking points. Normally, after God said, and I said, I'm not giving my questions out ever again. That's not happening. Not with JYP. So, um Shade, sorry, but I'm going to turn off my mic. <laughs> Thank you, Natasha. Sarah? I think, yeah, so... Oh, sorry. Oh, sorry. <laughs> there are two Sarahs. <laughs> no, you go ahead. Well, yeah. Oh, okay. Thank you. Um, so I actually have experience on both sides of this. Uh, with my When I'm writing with A1 Radio specifically, because we're such a small publication, a lot of times we get passed over for interviews with larger artists. I don't like giving out um, my questions beforehand because basically of what Lai said, but um, I try to do talking points. That does not go over well when I am coming from A1 Radio. When I do my podcasts, um, it's a little bit easier because I guess because my face, like my face has been around for a while. So they kind of know my name, they know my face, but also I interview uh, Korean like actors. So it's a little different, um, still very difficult at times, but depending on the company, it's more laid back and they're just like, yeah, sure. Just send us a couple of talking points and then we're fine. Um, I do have a quick little funny story where Talking points were good. Everything was great. But then there were about 20 like members of management doing uh, the interview. And I was like a Zoom interview. Uh, everything was great. But then I kept noticing all these messages like, you need to stick to this question. Don't ask that question. Don't ask that question. Don't ask that question. And it's like, really? <laughs> like, we're doing this now? Because I'm used to, once we get to the person that I'm interviewing, it's all good. but. Yeah, so sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't as far as like questions or talking points for me, for my experience. Okay, I'm done rambling. That wasn't rambling, Sarah. Thank you so much. Sarah L. Sorry, Sarah L and Sarah R is how we'll, we'll distinguish. So we'll go um, Jenna, then Sarah R, then Lily, I think. Okay, so I kind of have a question for you all, but Lai a minute ago was talking about this reputation that you have to maintain as a journalist because of course you want to be true to like journalistic ethics and like you want to be able to report on things that are interesting and be critical when you need to be critical but it feels like i mean and this is what we're talking about right now is that you kind of have to walk this fine line with the agencies um and what they want to represent from their idols but then there's also the side of it if you it seems like a lot of the journalists within the K-pop space have amassed a lot of followers who support different groups. And there can be pressure also from those fandoms of 
you know, you say one thing wrong and suddenly you're not the best person in the world anymore. And so I think there's pressure, not just from like the agency side, but also from the fandom side. And it's like, you have to walk this really fine line and you have to be careful with your reputation because it feels like anyone, any, any little thing could, could get you banned from talking to an idol group the next time around or from fandoms, just like trashing you every time you try to say something. So I guess I'm curious if anyone has any thoughts or experiences along those lines. Um, what I was going to say, since I'm the next speaker, I believe, um, what I was going to say actually perfectly lines up with what Jenna has just introduced. And, you know, that is, I think a lot of journalists may self-censor, not just because of the agency, but because a lot of these topics or talking points that we may want to talk about um, are considered controversial to the fans. Um, And sometimes even just anything critical, anything, you know, even if it's just saying, I didn't like this song or being critical about a song or being critical about what some idol did um, can get you bashed by a lot of fans. And, you know, fandoms are very, very sensitive and, well, not all fandoms, but a lot of fandoms tend to be sensitive. Um, This is true in American pop and, you know, K-pop as well. And, you know, I think a lot of journalists just don't want to put themselves out there to be beaten up for having an opinion. And I do, in some cases, I don't know if this is controversial to say, but, uh, you know, I won't say that I feel sorry for certain journalists who've sort of they've made their persona around being a fan of a certain group, but I question how long that can last because you know everything changes. You may fall out of love with that group, but because you gain so many followers by being so positive about X group or Y group, would that person feel confident saying something negative or saying a true opinion that is not blindly praising said group. And, and I, I wouldn't blame them if they didn't, because, you know, we're talking about um, people being really vulnerable online, right? Like you can be harassed in really terrible ways. So true, Sarah. Thank you. Oh my gosh, I can't 100% enough to that. I think we've got Lily, then Alexis next. And then I'll ask another question. Um, I was basically going to say the same thing that Sarah L said, um, just about how if you don't have a large platform or um, notoriety within journalism or within media itself, um, it's it can be really hard to even even if you just like cold email someone or DM them on Twitter if they're open to that for a pitch or something, they still might not be open to it just because. Who knows what other kind of um, restrictions they have via the artist's company or management or other PR people. Um, so it can be really hard to start out. So it it was really, really hard for me when I first um, tried to get into journalism within K-pop to kind of realize that, oh, these people all already know each other and I'm starting out and I not only have to introduce them to me as a person, but also me as a journalist. But then also it's kind of like when you're trying to get a credit card for the first time 
and everything's like, oh, you need to have credit to do this thing, but you don't have the credit yet, but then you need it to get it. You know what I'm, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's kind of the same situation where sometimes it's not the best thing to do and it's not great, but um, to kind of be like, hey, like, yeah, I'll give you three of my questions or something. Or, or if you're doing a really small interview, just sending the questions. You're not even, I mean, like, obviously, if you're doing a big, very important interview, I wouldn't recommend it. But um, sometimes people just got to do what they got to do to kind of get their foot in the door. And then once they're a little bit more, um, more recognizable or more respected within the community, they don't have to sacrifice that line anymore. Um, to answer to um, Sarah R's um, point about, you know, the being a, a journalist and the reactions you get from some fans on social media. I mean, I've been lucky that I've never gotten like really bad pushback for an article to the point that, um, you know, that it like fucks with my mental health or anything like that. But I do have a lot of friends in this that, you know, they're in therapy for it because um, like we know how Stan Twitter can be sometimes and how they can be unforgiving or just, you know, so it's just to the point of like, you know, to be honest, there have been instances where I've been like, is this worth <laughs> like pursuing this story? Like, like being before I, before I was, I was, you know, at Remezcla, I was a freelancer. So it was like, are these $200? Are these $125? $400, depending on the outlet. Is this num is this few dollars that I'll get in like two, three months worth all the trouble? And you know, as a freelancer, you are not protected by by the outlet. You're you're on your own and you're responsible for your reputation with thousand percent. And um and you know, sometimes to what Jenna was saying, like I mean, I'm not gonna speak on this person's experience, but I've heard of, you know, people that, you know, they get so much hate from fans that at the labels, they're like, maybe you should stop covering this group or maybe you should start covering this group with a pen name because the fans don't like you, you know, that kind of thing. So it's kind of like, you know, yeah, I think that a lot of people like just don't understand that, you know, if especially if when it comes to freelancers, which like, 90% of the people covering K-pop are freelancers and it it's only a number that's increasing because like media is horrible and like you know layoffs and everything so everyone's kind of like has to fend for themselves so you know if i i've been in situations where it's like uh you know i need to pay my bills and the and the rep is like you're not getting this 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 um interview if you don't give me the the questions and it's like fuck it like if you want me to tell to if you want to see that i'm gonna ask you like what do you think of x y and z fine you know like that's fine like i'll make the what i can like i'll make do with what i can but it's just one of those decisions like i've i've also been in the position where where i've declined to to participate to publish in an 
an interview because it's like, no, I don't want to be in that, you know, but it's just, it's, it's just very complicated to, to threat, to be honest. And to this point, I'm sorry, I'm speaking a lot, but I've also been in both situations where I started out as a blogger. Um, I started cold scene and, you know, I've been like just recently, I was coordinating an interview with the same rep for cold scene with like Korean rappers. And at the same time with the same person, I was coordinating an interview with JB for Teen Vogue. I would, even though I have like a relationship with that rep, she would never give me that interview for cult team for a blog, but she would give me um, the rappers, you know? So it is when, if you start considering even bloggers that just like to have, as Lily said, to just have that access to like get your foot in the door, that's like a lot of compromise. Yep. Go ahead, Virginia. You know what? Uh, it's been so long since I raised my hand, I forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> um, but in general, I think that it's really difficult to um, kind of separate out um, like what things you're willing to compromise on while you're trying to get your foot in the door. And then like, depending on how big your publication is or is not, whether you're freelance or not, it's just a really bunch of like difficult situations. Um, and you have to kind of find what you are personally comfortable with like I personally have interviewed maybe not as big stars or maybe they used to be super popular and they're trying to come back. So um, I haven't had to deal as much with uh, publicists, at least in K-pop, pushing back saying, oh, we want to see your questions ahead of time um, or whatever. Um, but to remember that there's it's always people that you're dealing with. It's not just like the enemy. <laughs> like everyone's just trying to do their job. And I think a lot of times... Um, as when you're trying to do your own job, we forget that other people are trying to do their job. I, I don't know if that makes sense. Um, but to, yeah, just to keep in mind that everyone's trying to get paid <laughs> and it's, it's serious, but it's not that serious. And, um, oh, that now I remember about Stan Twitter and like people like ratioing you or not liking what you write. Um, I've been pretty lucky so far because uh, the group that I personally stand the most, um, their fans have not really turned on me quite just yet, even though when I have reacted to their songs that I hate, I do get a lot of hate from that fandom that I am a part of. <laughs> but part of me is just sort of like, you know what, you, you have to decide, like, are you okay with the consequences of what you say? So everything you do, you're free to do it, right? You're free to say, no, I'm, I'm not going to compromise in this position. I'm not going to send you my questions ahead of time, or I'm not going to uh, compromise my, I'm not going to say softly that, you know, permission to dance is terrible. <laughs> like, but, but then you have to be prepared for the backlash, right? Like, um, for people saying, oh, you're not a real fan if you don't like this or whatever, or like, you know, so you just have to decide whether or not that's something you can handle. And I've, per I've been doxxed, uh, not from K-pop stands, but from white supremacists uh, because of articles I've written. So to be cognizant of the fact that you're, as a journalist, you should take measures to protect yourself and your identity. So I pay a service to scrub my personal identification 
like information off the internet. Um, and it's worth it because there's nothing scarier than having your personal address posted on a white supremacist forum. And it might not be for K-pop, but it could be for some other reason, right? So it, you are, you can do whatever you want, but just know that there's consequences to your action and that no one will blame you for choosing a different course of action because that's not the type of life you want to live. So hopefully that made sense. Um, thank you. I'm done speaking. Yeah, thank you, Virginia, and for um, sharing uh, those, those very real stories with us. Um, Todd, I'm going to hand it over to you, but maybe you can uh, just introduce yourself for all the members of the audience. Oh, what's up? Hey, everybody. There's a lot of people that I read and follow uh, a lot, so this is, I feel really great to be in this space. Um, my name's Todd Inouye. I'm a lifelong music journalist. I'm super old. Um, I've been doing this since the late 80s, early 90s, mostly alt music, English music, punk, um, hip-hop. I covered hip-hop during the 90s, so you imagine what that was like before Twitter and all that, where if you wrote something that pissed something off, somebody off, you have to ran the risk of running running into that person in a club or at you know backstage somewhere and probably getting your ass beat. Um, so the last couple of years, I've been focusing mostly on K-pop. So a lot of these issues that you, everybody speaks about, you know, rings really true. And one thing that I've noticed is that um, submitting questions is something that completely is not in my realm of possibilities until I started doing this. Um, um, the, I know the Chronicle, who I write for, I've done features for them. I told them a, a couple groups that I've wanted to interview because they were coming to the Bay Area. I said, hey, they want me to submit questions. And they said, no way. There's, you can't, we can't, we don't do that. We don't allow that. Because once you submit the questions, they're going to want to see the answers. And then that just gets into a whole schmeal of ethics that they don't want to deal with. Um, I will say that a few of the artists that I've interviewed um, outside of journalism in the uh, streaming music space, I'm not going to say which one, but it rhymes with schmapple schmusic. Um, they're a little bit more... Uh, I can submit questions and it's, it's all fine because we're not, we're not, it's not technically journalism. I've, I've, I've been noticing that a lot of the more westernized fellows, uh, artists do come with a background of what journalism is. And so they'll reveal things. Um, I remember one really top famous idol um, revealed to me that he had had a panic attack and the way he described it, I had not seen this reported before. And so I'm sitting on the scoop, like, do I report this? I mean, do I put this in part of the article? And I just kind of sat with it. And I did write it in. It eventually did run in, um, in the streaming service. But there was, like, no reaction. <laughs> it was, it was, it was kind of surprising. Um, so I, I guess another thing that was um, another point you, get, you, were, you were talking about was when the reps come back at you like you after the story is run. And in this case, it was a pretty famous, very famous group actually that came to the Bay area a year ago or so before the pandemic. And the rep, the story ran and the rep asked me to remove uh, this part. It was a parenthetical about how one of the members had left. There was originally X amount of number members. And it just said a, a blank member person's name, left in 2019 or whatever. And so they bugged me for, for days to remove that from the story. 
like just would not shut up about it. And they they refused to uh, retweet the story unless it, that part was removed. And it's, I went back to my my um, editor and said they really wanted to remove it. I'm I'm just doing this because they asked. And uh, she said, no, it's part of the story. It's part of the history. We're not gonna re- we're not gonna remove it. And so I went back to them with that. And then they eventually retweeted the story, which ended up I was tagged on, and suddenly thirty five thousand people my my phone like basically went dark for about a day or so. Ugh. Todd, was it Stray Kids? Uh, could have been. Could have been. Could have been. Because it happened group. to me. It happened to me. <laughs> yeah, it was Stray Kids, and it was Wujin, and they would not let. Exactly. They would not shut up about it. So anyway, I would suggest um, all you uh, journalists stick by your guns, do good work, and. Um, the truth will come out. Actually, you know, you can't ask. They don't like a way way a certain question is asked. You can ask it a different way. There's, I mean, you're you're all good writers. You're all good. Um, uh, you're all curious. We're all, you know, we want to get to the good story. So please keep pursuing the story. That's all I have to say. Thanks. Who is speaking? Uh, last year, do you remember? Todd had just finished speaking and then your phone crashed and then we were all silent for like two minutes. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Good okay. job, Peter. I'm sorry, everyone. All right. Um, well, I think, thank you everyone for, for tolerating technical difficulties here. I'm, I'm sure Twitter Spaces, I'm going to blame that on Twitter Spaces. Um so, Alexis, do you, do you think there's something to go off of uh, directly after Todd's um, comment? I think we, we can we can move on to another question. Although, yeah, that's very common. Like, you know, people wanting you to edit articles and then if they don't want you to... Like, I've had that. It's like, if you don't remove this, we're not sharing it. And then I don't tell them. But in my head, it's like, well, I'm still getting paid, so... I don't get paid by click, so. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead, Lai. Um, yeah, just yeah, just to uh, expand on what was being said with Alexis and Todd earlier was I did have that experience uh, with a certain group, uh, where you know right after it was published, I was uh, pinged like once or twice, and we were going back and forth, um, about you know what how many answers each member was uh was given or um if if we if in the intro i can't i shouldn't be mentioning this certain uh incident or uh, another artist but um just like what todd said it's it's the the truth will eventually come out whether you like it or not these artists um their stories and whatever uh activities they've done in public and are known to the public um they uh, it's out there so all you got to do is tell their story and you know give what is being shown so um there was a there was a statement in the in you know the the last uh space that was asking or was it was a uh, touching base on um if representatives or labels were um ca- counting uh, how many answers are given or should you ask each member a question or something like that. But yes, it does happen. It does happen um, to the point where sometimes reps and labels will count how many times each member has 
uh, answered a question um, and what uh, and what and ask you why did you cut their answer off? Um, and usually because, like I said earlier, some of these artists, you could tell they went through media training. It's 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 kind of redundant. It's boring. It's not new. Um, but, you know, like like what Todd said, eventually the truth comes out. And when you know that it's it's there and the and the the, the events have happened, you have to tell the story, whether regardless or not. And that's your duty as a journalist and as a writer. So, yeah, I mean, these things happen. It's just you have to stand your ground because you you know that, that's your job so that i'm done <laughs> yeah, go ahead virginia so i had a question uh, because i've only interviewed english-speaking k-pop stars uh, or who were korean american so um for those of you who are not korean or can't speak korean how how do you end up asking questions to the artist uh, do you provide a translator does the company provide a translator does your publication provider translator if you are not the one providing the translator do you trust the translation of the translator like how how certain are you that they that the artists are um answering the way that the translator has made it if that makes sense yeah um uh, let, let, me, let me just kind of read off the order here and then if you have the answer you go ahead and weigh in on that so we'll go sarah alexis then lie i think Sarah L or Sarah R? Yeah, sorry, Sarah L. Oh, okay, cool. Uh, so actually, and this is something that maybe some people will gasp about, but because uh, our publication is so small, I have actually had to pay a translator to help me out when I do Zoom interviews. And I know that with larger companies, that's not an issue. Like the reporter is not the one that pays, like it's the company, but because there is no funding at this point, um, I would have to do it myself. Or the second, second option is to go the question route, which as I said in the other space, I don't like doing unless like I have to. And sometimes I have to just because I'm broke, I don't have the money to pay for a translator. <laughs> so I will just send the questions that have been translated uh, by someone who does speak Korean and get it back. And then have them translated again so it's not ideal at all i don't recommend anyone doing that on their own if like they're just starting out but that is what i have done i've 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 never had to to pay someone although i have been asked before if i can provide a, a translator but um i usually say no and then they'll provide someone but usually um it's someone that works in the company. Um, in Cake, when you do interviews, for example, at KCON, they will have a translator there. And I have been in situations where it's like, you know, even as a non-Korean speaker, like you can tell that these, that the, that responses are not accurate. Or I've been in, I've did, I've sat in interviews where it's like, an idol is saying, you know, like, what music do you listen to? And he's saying artists. And then the translation is just like, oh, he likes pop music. And then you're kind of like, what the, what the hell? <laughs> you know, so um, I, I, um, I, off the top of my head, I don't remember what interview it was, but I remember that I had an interview and that I just didn't feel like, like, I was like, no, I didn't like these answers. So I had to pay someone to just like, can you go over these and, you know, like 
maybe give me like a more accurate interpretation or give me like a more poetic interpretation, you know, something, give me like a good answer because sometimes, you know, when you're translating, like, because I speak Spanish, I've done translation work and sometimes like you just translate the point, you know, but when it's journalism, a lot of the times, like you want a good quote, you don't want, you know, like, oh, I wrote the song because, you know, I really liked it or something like that. You know, you like, you really want to flesh out the answer. So, but yeah, it, um, I have heard of people who pay, I've paid um, to look it over, but yeah. Um, for me, I haven't, I've been in situations like Alexis where um, sometimes the label will ask if I can provide a, a, a translator, but that doesn't happen um, as much because usually obviously these companies have the, the money, they got the bag to, to provi provide one. Um, but when when it comes to trusting the translators and say, say, seeing how accurate uh, these answers are being given, what I usually do, which is probably tacky and pretty funny and a really good way to strategize it all at the same time, is with the Konglish that I have, obviously I'm not Korean, but I what I do is they ask I ask the question and I get the gist of how they're the the translators asking it if they're if I understand the gist of what the artist is saying I will follow it up in the way I would have it you know obviously with the basic Korean that I know asking like how why you know um and from there they would <laughs> it would kind of intimidate the translator uh to 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 reword the question and and uh, probably word in the way and answer it in the way that I want my answers. So there, there were, there was a, uh, it actually happened to me recently this year uh, with an interview where um, I, the translator, I, God bless their soul. Um, you could tell they were, it was probably like their first day that they, they probably didn't um, anticipate like questions on mental health and stuff, but um it was more so like how how does it feel to be back and all that, um, and so I just went in and, and started asking follow ups with like what what like when you know why do you feel that way and then um, that I guess if you know I guess my t my advice at the end of the day is if you know a little bit of Korean or have some type of skill in Konglish it will it will bring you a long way um, because you never know you will you will impress the people that are listening into the call. Um, but it also kind of ups your credit, your, your kind of your street cred to the point where these people kind of respect you because you kind of learn more than, you know, just asking the question. So I hope that makes sense. But yeah. Yeah. Just trust your gut at the end of the day and do what you got to do as a journalist. Cool. Well, I think we're, we've more or less reconvened the room from what it was previously. Thanks, JYP, for crashing. By the way, we're just going to say JYP is responsible for all the crashes. Um, so I think we're going to go a little bit longer on this week's chat, um, just given the disconnect and everything. I'm going to move on to our next question here. Um, how much do you think the coverage of access journalism is driven out of an effort to remain relevant or capitalize on the clicks of K-pop fans. Um, do you think K-pop fans seek out or engage in editorial or nuanced coverage, which isn't always part of the echo chamber, always part positive um, of an idol? 
so we'd love to get your guys' thoughts on that. Um, and just to provide uh, Tasia's answer to that question, she wrote, um, she guesses a fair amount. Publications know that K-pop drives attention and that fans will read anything they publish. Uh, but she does think that there is a part of the fandom that enjoys well-written, nuanced coverage about their favorite groups. When it isn't always positive, the number is way, way smaller. Uh, but yeah, there still is some. And she's referring to uh, more of that, you know, uh, editorialized um, coverage. So go ahead, Sarah R. I think it depends on different um, publications. I definitely don't want to paint them all with the same brush. However, and I definitely think that there are fans who, there are different kind of fans. There are fans who really want nuanced analyses of the K-pop industry, of a certain group's album, and so on and so forth. And then there are fans who just want fluff pieces that are positive towards their biases. Um, I definitely think that once Western media realized how monetizable I don't even know if that's a word, how, how easily monetized uh, K-pop fans are, um, you started to get a lot more clickbaity articles. And I also want to take this uh, opportunity to say, you have to, fans and readers have to try to sometimes separate the freelance writer of the article from the publication. And that doesn't mean that the freelance, I mean, obviously you're the freelance writer, you wrote the article, but not entirely. Oftentimes editors will have their say in what can be said and what can't be said. Um, all the t like I would say usually, if not 99% of the time, the publication will have the final say on what the title is. So the freelance writer may not even have um, the ability to say, this is what title I want. The publisher might say, we want a more clickbaity title, and then they and there's nothing you can really do about it. There's also nothing that you can do often about the pictures that are used to advertise the articles. So a lot of things that might rile up a fan base, um, whether it's a clickbait title, whether it's um, the article that seems to lack nuance, um, whether it's the pictures that are used, it may, you know, be a picture, let's say like a picture of BTS, even though the article has nothing to do with BTS, that's not the freelance writer. That's the publication. But oftentimes it's the freelance writer that gets all the heat because it's our name on the article. Um, I definitely think that, you know, if you don't like an article, don't click on it. But the thing is that a lot of fans hate click on articles or they bring more attention to problematic articles or articles that are sensationalized. And that sends a message, right, to the publication that these are the articles that are going to get the clicks, not the well-balanced, nuanced articles with a lot of research done. The articles that will get the clicks are the ones, you know, like the Billboard article about BTS that recently came out, right, about... Um, the fans and getting number ones and things like that. People could say they hated it, but it made the rounds. It was, it went viral pretty much. Right. And another article that may have been incredibly well researched and nuanced probably flew under the radar. So you have to pay attention to the articles that you want out there. 
Yeah, go ahead, Jenna. Okay, this has sparked a lot of thoughts. Um, so I might be jumping around a little bit. But first thing, when, Peter, you're asking the question, my mind kind of went to um, fans who have not been happy specifically with, like, Western coverage of their artists and how it's inspired them either to become scholars or to become journalists or, you know, write their own opinion pieces or, and share those on Twitter, share them on um blogs or you know medium wherever so i think that's really interesting specifically for thinking about bts a lot of fans have not been happy with western coverage so i do think it's inspired in a generation of critical thinkers who who want who want i mean of course there's the side of you know them wanting their artists to be treated fairly um but i think i do think it's interesting just like the path from fan to potential journalist um and then you're talking about separating like the freelance writer from the publication and people getting mad about the nuances or the lack of nuance. And I think that's what the internet comes down to is people are always getting mad about nuance one way or another. Um, and, you know, with journalism, you do have a lot more control over making those a lot like edits. But I've found like with podcasting, if we're doing like an hour and a half recording session, like if you slip up on a fact or like, you you know some something you have to go back and add later it's not always super easy and so sometimes people are like well why didn't you cover this I and mean, this goes for writing too like why didn't you talk about this why didn't you talk about this like you should have like mentioned like this event or this article or this thing that happened and it's like you can't always fit every single thing into an article it just doesn't work that way um, and I think fans don't always know or understand how it works and I saw Liz see had posted a tweet earlier talking about this like would fans be more lenient if they knew all the hoops that journalists had to go through just to get an interview done period and maybe they would i mean i think a lot of fans take that for granted there was something else i saw recently related to um bts oh they were mad because they were like big hit should have like gone back and like told them to fix this article and it's like big hit doesn't always have control when that happens you know Anyways, that's my piece. This has been Jenna. Thank you. <laughs> right. Yeah, I think, you know, just among, sorry, maybe I'm overgeneralizing, but kids these days, um, like millennials or whatever you call them, uh, just don't have media literacy. Like, they don't get, like, there's independence here. It's not supposed to be an advertisement that just reiterates exactly the same phrasing of who paved the way um first so uh okay I'm, I'm gonna move along to another question here from the audience so annie from taney lovers tweets uh what would you tell someone who's trying to establish quote-unquote access in the first place any takers yeah go ahead lily um speaking from personal experience make sure that you know kind of i guess the faux pas that you could commit or go through um while trying to navigate the like space between being a fan and being a professional in the music industry um it's like obviously everyone that you meet is different and you can like suss out the vibes a little bit but even myself like even just two years ago some of the things i said or did while trying to be a professional, I look back and I cringe on now 
and just kind of getting people that are experienced in the field that you want to enter in. And I mean, in any um, profession is super important, but especially I think in journalism and within music specifically, I think is really important because reputation and how you carry yourself and how you um, go about doing your business um, really goes a long way. Word of mouth is a huge thing, especially when um, you're within like kind of a niche in the music industry like K-pop. All of us know each other um, and word gets around if you are doing weird stuff. So just make sure that like, like don't censor yourself, um, but make sure that you're behaving in a professional manner when you need to be or um, just being a nice person, you know, don't be weird. <laughs> Jenna, I think you were trying to say something. Yes. Um, this, that exactly what you're saying goes a lot of what Shelby was saying last week. When you're thinking about the, the quote unquote fangirl to professional pipeline of right now, it's like a really popular, like talking, like a buzzy talking point for like fangirls to be able to turn their love of music or whatever into a job. But there is definitely a line where you have to be professional. Um, and it's totally okay to be passionate about music and to show that. But I think a lot of the younger generation hasn't figured out where that line is. And that's something either you have to learn the hard way, or you have to learn through going through it, or I mean, my best advice would be observe from the the elders, so to speak, the people who have been around and see the types of things they tweet and maybe the types of things you shouldn't hold back. Yeah. Yeah. Virginia. Hey, um, I'd like to push back a little bit. Um, I can't remember exactly what I'm pushing back about, but I do know I wanted to push back <laughs> gently, of course. Um, it's, I know that a lot of times, um, uh, I'll use the billboard article about BTS as an example. When I will say that when I first saw it, I was prepared. When I first saw um, Stan Twitter talk about it, I was prepared to hate the article. And when I read it, I was like, what was the big deal? But then, but then I read some of like the critics criticisms about it. And then I thought to myself, like, why was my first reaction? Suck it up. And why was my first reaction? Like, that's not how the world works. And why was my first reaction? Hey, you know, there were a lot more negative articles. This, like, some of it was interesting. You know what I mean? Like, some of the questions that were asked, I thought were, and the answers that were evoked was interesting. And, but then I thought about it. And I, after I read a lot of, like, the critiques and the article itself again, I was like, you know what? There's something to be said for um, taking criticisms um, and seeing that, not everything, the, the things that I personally find acceptable because part of it is that I'm old and I have, like, I'm just used to seeing people, Asians, you know, boy bands covered in a certain way. And that sometimes when people are pushing back on that, it's, it's good for me to examine, well, why do I find it acceptable for them to be covering a something a certain way like why didn't it occur to me that that was not appropriate or that's not okay and you could say like hey you're a bts stan you're naturally predisposed to like defend bts and okay i'll give you that but again like i said the first time i read the article i didn't think it was a big deal <laughs> um so i i just want to also 
like caution us from dismissing um, criticism about like from Stan Twitter as, oh, they're just young people. They're not media literate uh, or, uh, oh, they're not, they don't get how journalism works, um, which again, valid in certain situations. Um, but also to think why, why does it have to be, why are we accepting of certain types of coverage or why, why is it like, oh, it's a lesser of two evils. Like if that, does that make sense? I don't know if I'm making sense, but I just, I guess I mean that there are some good things from coming from like Stan Twitter and the fans and I guess the um, fangirl to journalism pipeline, you know, like there, why should we accept certain types of coverage or why should we accept certain types of uh, handling of things just because it's always been done that way or why aren't we questioning the way uh, editors frame things and yes you're right like we don't freelance writers don't get a lot of control of what a, whatever the editor wants to change the headline to be or all those things but um in general like like to examine why we are accepting of certain things and why we're not i think yeah. i am now babbling i'm sorry <laughs> No, thank you, Virginia. I, I think there's absolutely something to be said about pushing against the establishment just because things have always been a certain way and, and not that we shouldn't fight for uh, equity and justice. Um, I'm going to, before handing it over to, I think, uh, Carolina and Jenna, who I think both had something to say, um, Crystal Bell and Natalie Morin, if, if you guys just had any thoughts, period, on um the topic of access journalism in K-pop would love to hear from you. So while, maybe while you're thinking, if you have something to say, uh, we'd, we'd love to hear from you, if you feel comfortable, of course. Um, and with that, I'll also call out that uh, members of the audience, if you want to um, have questions or other further comments, you can tweet using the hashtag K-pop chat. That's where we're drawing a lot of our thoughts from. I don't think we have a lot of time or space to have um, audience vocal questions. So. Uh, with that, Crystal or Natalie, any any thoughts? No pressure. Hi, um, this is Crystal. Uh, I'm a freelance writer. I write for Teen Vogue, Paper Magazine, and other publications online. I write a lot of K-pop, um, and I just had a pretty cool project roll out with Tomorrow by Together on Paper Magazine. So we did a full week of coverage. So it was six pieces total, one feature per member, and then a group profile as well. So I guess I can speak a little bit to that because it's, I mean, it's was a very long project in the making, you know, like <laughs> three, four months out. Um, and, but I guess I was pleasantly surprised with how smooth it was, especially just working with um, Big Hit and Hybe. And, um, you know, I'm not saying it was easy. It was still pretty stressful. Everything was timed to the second. But the entire process, like getting the time with them, I was able not only to get a group interview, but I talked to each individual member for 30 minutes a piece. So it felt pretty rare to be that lucky to get that. I know it's like such a weird thing to be like, wow, I got 30 minutes with one idol. But yeah, that that's in this industry, it's kind of rare. And it's rare for a lot of celebrity journalism. I mean, I don't just talk to K-pop idols. I talk to actors and other artists. So 30 minutes in this economy is, is pretty luxe. Um, 
but yeah, I, it was pretty seamless. I mean, a lot of negotiations on both sides, but it just kind of, uh, flowed. And I think a lot of it was because I had a lot of autonomy as the writer. Uh, the editor really trusts me and my expertise to basically, run the coverage the way that I wanted. So it was kind of like my idea and my execution. Uh, I mean, sometimes it was a little overwhelming, but at the end of the day, in this kind of Stan economy, uh, you kind of, especially if you know a lot about how the fandom organizes and 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 the conversations online, it's it's you have to ultimately, I think, sometimes the burden is on your shoulders to really package it in every step of the way from uh, planning and execution to, you know, social media rollout, making sure all the headlines, you know, I was writing all the headlines, you know, all the things that typically writers aren't very blessed to do. I, I kind of made myself carry that because I knew it was very sensitive. Um, but uh, so true, a truly labor of love. But I think it was pretty rare to be given that chance. So uh, kind of shocked to say that I didn't have much pushback. I mean, they I gave them talking points. They didn't ask for questions. I only had one thing of all the two hours of tape stricken from the record, uh, which I will not say what it is just because I fear the hand of God. And yeah, so it just, it, you know, I think you get lucky. I've also had experience talking to another Hybe labels group uh, that was considerably much more stressful. So, but we don't need to go into that. Um, but yeah, I, I think uh, working with labels, uh, a lot of times it, it all depends on the publication and, and if the publication is one that they are willing to to really work with you. I think for Pibe, it was really important for TXT to be on paper because you kind of always have to think about the story, right? So they've been on Teen Vogue. They've done the 17 magazines. They've done all the teen kind of um, centered publications. And this was their moment to really be presented as adults. And I think Hive was really into marketing them for the paper audience. And I think with every K-pop group, there's a similar kind of story arc and um, these companies are always trying to think about how, uh, you know, how they're, they're trying to think about what the narrative is and who the audience is. And uh, I think the one amazing thing right now is that there are a lot of opportunities to write about K-pop on the internet. And the double-edged sword of that is that there's been probably more K-pop writing than ever before. And it's becoming very competitive. And it's also becoming very um, repetitive. Like, we're reading a lot of the same stories again and again and again. So anytime that I'm able to do something like this TXT project where it was like, I don't want to just talk to the group. I want to do something different. And if I can't do something different, then I don't want to do it at all. That's kind of like the mindset that I'm in right now because I just think the I think the group interviews especially are getting a little tiresome um, just because I I think that there's not a lot that these groups can say unless the project that they're promoting is something completely radically different than anything else that's out there and I just don't think that we're any one group is is kind of doing that right now. Um, but 
yeah, I think uh, for me in access journalism, I know I'm talking in circles, but I really do. I really do think that as a journalist, you have to be aggressive, but you also have to know what to fight for. Um, and so I'm always going to fight for the story that I want to tell. And so I just really like I, I try not to back down when it comes to stuff like that. But of course, I've also experienced a lot of what other people here have said. Like I was laughing when Todd was talking about like not being able to mention a member because I def I also had that happen to me with day six. So I don't know what it is with with JYP and just just not wanting to mention ex uh, members of groups. But they're definitely not the only company. I mean, I've also had the line go dead talking to Red Velvet because I asked them about feminism. So, you know, like somebody cut the tape. Um, but yeah, so it's like I definitely have those stories to tell as well. But I think I hope that we're moving in just a better direction overall. I think a lot of writers are getting um, are getting a lot more confident to stand their ground. Obviously, some of them have the backings of major publications, and so that's definitely helpful. Um, but if you don't have the backing of a major publication, I would still say, like, stand up for your own integrity. I mean, you won't know what is and what is not acceptable unless you ask. Like, I've talked to so many people who are like, they didn't ask about getting in advance of an album, so they didn't get in advance of an album. And I'm like, why didn't you ask? And they're like, well, I didn't think I would. I could get one. So I think a lot of times it's just like, uh, especially young writers, just not um, maybe having the confidence to, to email and to ask. So I would say in, in this field, especially if you want to get into this field and you want to make it as a journalist, you just can't have any ego about that stuff. <laughs> just like put yourself, you're kind of always making yourself vulnerable and putting yourself out there. But um, I tend to think that that leads to some of the best work that you can do. So anyway, I'm, I'm rambling, but that those are just kind of my overall thoughts as I've listened to all of you wonderful people speak for like the last hour. Yeah. Congratulations on your big uh, TXT uh, series, Crystal. Um, so it sounds like shoot your shot and know which target audience their the label is, is shooting yeah, for. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like, no, like I always say like approach it from a story. I think, um, it's not just about, oh my God, this group is coming out with an album and I love this group and I want to talk to this group about the album. You know, <laughs> you have to, what is the story? Who's the audience? Like, especially when you're a freelancer, I can think of, and I'm sure we all on this call can think of the one publication that will probably commission your piece regardless of a, a, like a, like a really convincing story angle because the editor is wonderful and they know the value of K-pop journalism and the engagements and whatnot. But I would say for a lot of other outlets, it's, it, it really is all about the right story um, and a compelling story. You know, I, I think Liz C on Twitter was asking about this of like, why don't editors just hire fans to write stories if all they, if all fans want our fluff and like all companies want is fluff. And, and that's actually, you know, it's a valid question, but at the end of the day, I actually do know a lot of editors that will turn down K-pop pitches because they don't think that there's substance there. And that's not to say that they don't think K-pop has substance. They don't think that the group has substance. Like if I send them examples of interviews or videos, 
their first question, their immediate question is going to be like, well, what is compelling here? What's the story? What, why, why for our audience, you know? So I think that the best way for this industry to grow, and I'm talking about K-pop journalism, is to have maybe like deeper and more meaningful storytelling. And I do think that that is being able, and I do think we're able to accomplish that even with the minimal access that we have, even if it's getting an idol one-on-one as opposed to one on seven or eight or nine, you know what I'm saying? Like, I think just finding those unique story angles are are going to be beneficial for everyone. And I've already seen the industry kind of trend that way. I think SM is doing a really good job of promoting their idols. I know, I'll repeat that in case you thought I made that up. I think SM is doing a really good job of promoting their idols um, internationally. Uh, They're doing a lot of US press. They're doing a lot of one-on-one press. Like they're letting uh, members of groups talk to reporters one-on-one. I think that's so important to really just getting to better stories, frankly. but yeah, I, it's still not perfect. I mean, you're, you're still getting like 20 minutes with somebody, but 20 minutes is better than 20 minutes with eight, nine, 10, 12 people. Um, but yeah, so that's, that's just kind of my two cents. Shoot your shot, but also like go in it with a lot of intention, know the story you're going to tell and know the audience that you're telling it for. Yep. All right. Well, thank you for that, Crystal. Um, so just a quick, uh, what, room reset. Um, we'll, we'll, probably run through the line of speakers here who have something to say. Um, and then maybe we'll close it out with one last question and we'll end the room. Um, so the, again, Natalie, no, no pressure, but was there anything that you just wanted to weigh in on this topic of um, access journalism? Uh, first of all, thank you for having me. Um, my name is Natalie Morin. Um, I am an entertainment writer and most recently was at Refinery29 covering music, TV, movies, K-pop, all of it. Um, I think in terms of this, I'll I'll keep it short. I think uh, Crystal really got at the core um, of the, both the tensions and the, the, the goals when you were talking K-pop access. Um, I think for me, something that I had to learn early on and kind of reframe was that Journalism in Korea works differently than media in the U.S. And so that that kind of mutual understanding and knowing that there's going to be uh, some things that are that people everybody needs to get used to on both sides is really important to um, getting what you want um, and definitely shooting your shot is important, even when it's something that is completely new to the, to management. Um, I think uh, that's definitely, it's, it's definitely worth it. I've definitely gotten a lot of stories commissioned that I did not think management would be up for, but, uh, but first of all, I mean, it does help if you have a track record of, uh, of handling situations well and of being, uh, and of, of, of writing pieces that are, are, that have gotten a lot of traction, but, but also just, I think a lot of management companies are open to, to new and, uh, and boundary pushing 
um, pitches and stories uh, for their uh, for their artists. Um, and then the other thing is just that I think the the biggest issue and the biggest uh, challenge right now is that uh, it it seems that a lot of to me it seems that a lot of management companies um, for artists a lot of the times don't know exactly what they want. Um, they, they, they think they want, you know, maybe like a, a, a very positive, very surface level piece. And they'll try to really try to, to push you in that direction to write it. Um, and sometimes you kind of have to explain to them in a, in a great, in very a nice way that sometimes Yes, like we definitely want to, to to tell this story, and it's it's definitely I'm not it's not going to be like a slam piece or anything like that, but but having a real conversation that goes beyond just the questions that are asked normally is going to be positive for not only for the publication but for this artist, and it's going to help them, and um, it's going to it's going to attract new fans and make them more compelling to people. So I think it's it's a hard conversation to have because, again, like I said in the beginning, there's a lot of a lot of cultural boundaries and and differences that you just have to try to bridge with within uh, among each other. But uh, if you do, um, and it does happen a lot, then you can th- come up with a lot of great things and a lot of great work. Uh, so uh, that's those are my thoughts. Thank you, Natalie. We really appreciate you. So, so thank you for jumping in. Um, okay, so we'll go Carolina, Liz, Jenna, and then one last question for uh, this this uh, conversation. So go ahead, Carolina. Hello, everybody. Um, this is Carolina. I'm one-fourth of Not Your Average Fangirls, a K-pop podcast. Um, I just wanted to comment because I know that the, the fangirl to professional comment came up and um somebody asked in one of the tweets kind of just like how do you like who's trying to establish access um from personal experience twitter is your best friend um so if you see somebody that you admire you like their writing you like their work follow them and interact with them some of them even have open dms and i know that might be scary but it's not bad to just be like, hi, I really like your work or I really like your piece on blah, 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 and go from there. Um, a lot of the fellow people on, on this um, panel, they have helped me, they've helped other people. And um, it's like a community. It's just good to know the people that are in that community. So I consider myself a professional fangirl. I have no problem saying that I'm a fangirl. I like K-pop. I like the music. I like the everything related to it. But there is a way that you conduct yourself while you're working in a professional manner versus what you do in your own bedroom freaking out. So I think that that division is what you need to think about. So it's okay for you to be in front of your idol or or like a group you really like and be like, oh, I'm a fan. But there's a way that you conduct yourself that won't freak out a most important like the PR people that are there as well as management and also the artists themselves so 
Um, I think that that's just the main line that you got to look at at yourself and how you conduct yourself in those professional settings. But there is nothing wrong with you being a fangirl and being a fan of the person that you're interviewing. Because in my experience, if you are a fan, that means that you know a lot about this person or this group, which then you're able to midway or uh, have like a segue into that maybe they mention something and that's like an inside joke for the fandom and you mention it and they're like from there on you can get a better interview um you're able to make it more personable you're also able to make it better for the fan themselves when they're reading it they're like oh my god she mentioned or he mentioned so and so that we talk about and the artist knows about it and you you know you laugh about it and whatnot so I think that that's like the main thing when it comes to access. Just don't be afraid to reach out. Yes, maybe some people might not like reply to you or give you the time of day. But what if that one person does? For me, that was it. They gave me like one person did and it opened the door for me to be able to work in the industry and do interviews and, and things like that. So so just that's my thing. Just always network always present yourself with your best foot and don't be afraid to obviously be yourself and be a fan, but also know where you're at and um, in the space that you are at. So those are just my two cents. Thank you. All right, thank, thank you, Carolina. Liz. Hi. Um, yeah, I think this is Liz, longtime listener. Um, you know, I think everybody's talking a lot about the sort of feature side of things with interviews and, and longer pieces. But there's this other piece of it that's kind of the daily churn of news. And I'm wondering if anybody that's worked on that side of it can talk a little bit more. Because as just sort of a consumer of it, like you start to realize how much the companies are sort of controlling those PR statements and things that are coming out. Like, you know, after you see your first 15 neighbor news stories on an idol's Instagram post and you think, hey, they're all using the same language. Huh. Wonder why that is. Um, so I'm just curious if any of you guys that have done that side of thing with more of the like posting the news that is coming and the PR statements that are coming can talk about that. Uh, yeah, let, let, let's bring out to that. Uh, go ahead, Natasha. Uh, yeah, so I deal with a lot of the news story side of things for Teen Vogue and it's interesting because I, I pitch those stories myself. So I guess I decide what I think is interesting or not. And yes, PR will definitely send what they want us to put in. But I'll be honest with you, I actually never, ever follow what PR would prefer for me to put out. And I just pitch what I think will be what I think would be interesting because I am definitely a product of the fangirl to a uh, professional, I am part of that pipeline. So I guess I take into account what I would find interesting and then what I think it could be deemed as socially important. So I actually probably do a lot more of the news side of it than I would even say the feature side of it. I but, but, oh. Sorry? No, no, Natasha, keep going. No, but I, like I said earlier, guys, I, I don't know if I'm the right person to follow because I'm just incredibly stubborn. So <laughs> I, I don't I, I don't take uh, what PR want me to do very well. So it, yes, yeah, so it's it's really about what I think will be 
it, what I think is important as a fan and also what I just think is uh, d- just necessary was more important for the world to know about the, the I don't know, the picture perfect side of K-pop. I, I also think to jump in on and to Liz's question, I think that what gets written about on Naver is different than what will make its way stateside, if that makes sense. Um, and I would say it's similar to working with labels and artists here in the U.S. I mean, we're all on PR blasts. We all get multiple press releases a day. And sometimes, yeah, you are writing up a album announcement, a pre-sale order, and now like, oh my God, Justin Bieber is on track to have the highest sales week ever, blah, blah, blah. Um, you are writing up Instagram photos. Like that's just, I think, the really regular kind of trending news stories that happen every day. I do think that obviously in 2017, 2018, there was more of a push to start watching k-pop groups and and writing about them a little bit more in that newsy way here in like in the u.s and just know like being an editor at mtv i would also commission like daily news blogs about certain k-pop music videos things like that um but i do think that some of like the communications between labels and reporters in Korea is not so different than the communications between labels and reporters here in the u.s like it's a lot i mean a lot of based around access journalism is is a lot of based around connections and who you know. And I, you know, it's kind of like, well, I know you, we've worked together. Uh, I know you rep this artist, this artist, and this artist. And if you're asking me to take 30 minutes of my day to write up a music video for a lesser known artist, then sure, I'll do it because I also know that you rep Lord, you know, or something like that. It's very similar, I think, wherever you go in K-pop. And I, I think among the companies, it's like rookie groups will get different opportunities based on their company, based on access. So I do think like a lot of the conversations we're having, we it's not just like in a vacuum. It's not just Korean artists. It's truly all artists and it's the music industry at large. And we could be having this conversation about so many artists. I mean, Beyonce is fame. I love her. Virgo queen uh, famously doesn't do interviews. Famously will never do another interview in her entire life. Like her latest cover story was her like she was like I will be the architect of my own um, cover stories from here on out because she is just so powerful she doesn't need to give interviews so again it's like I know we're talking about k-pop but I also don't think it is different for western artists either yep that really helps to be the uh, thousand pound gorilla in the room because you get to write um, or dictate a lot of that access and control um, okay, so Jenna, I think you were trying to say something. That I, didn't, I know it's been a while now. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. I'll, I'll make it quick. Um, uh, I was just thinking about um, what Virginia had said about um, earlier about um, BTS and the Billboard article that came out and like her initial reaction and thinking about, you know, what comes after that. And I do think that there, you know, while we said like there are some members of fandom who don't necessarily know how journalism works there are others who are very smart who are very critical thinkers and i think we can 
like look to fandom at times to like see what people's opinions are and what their takes are when stuff like this comes out in the media. And then the 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 last kind of thing that I, like I'll leave us to think on is because on my podcast we talk a lot about how narratives have been set up in the media and how for example with Britney Spears like being 17 on the cover of Rolling Stone and she was basically positioned as this like sex kitten temptress and that narrative followed her for the rest of her career um and so there are certain narratives that are kind of like set in place and as journalists I think it's easy to sometimes fall into the same story and continue that and I think we have to be like uh, cognizant of of that and recognize are we challenging this narrative and is this narrative harmful um because just in that example specifically that you know was a very like misogynistic trope um but yeah being being critical thinkers even as journalists okay wonderful okay so uh quick reminder everyone that uh we're, as we're going to start wrapping this up uh, be sure to follow all the speakers all the people who have been tweeting along as well. Hopefully you met some new mutuals uh, through the course of this conversation. I think we could, frankly, have a whole nother uh, conversation, uh, tour spaces conversation on, on this same topic again, or a different sub aspect of, of this topic. Um, but to, to try to bring this home, uh, let's see. Oh my gosh. Why did I lose sight of my question here? Um, what should we be doing uh, as fans to try to move things toward the better, uh, you know, just as, as consumers, fans of this content, um, and, and seeking more to uh, people who aren't journalists, uh, but, but as journalists or as people, you know, doing a lot of this media coverage, uh, what would you advise to them to try to shift and move the industry toward the better? Um, and I'll read uh, Tasia's response to this question. She said, learn basic media literacy, how publications work, how writers and freelance writers work, except that constructive criticism is a good thing and that they don't have to eat up everything their favorite artists release. And that's one stranger's opinion, and excuse me, and that one stranger's opinion doesn't change the value of what they love. So again, the, the question is, uh, what would you uh, just recommend uh, to, to make this whole field, this whole system better? Yeah, go ahead, uh, Alexis, then Sarah R. I think Tasia hit the nail on the head with the media literacy thing. I think that um, as I've been on Twitter, I'm like there are times where sometimes like I'll be talking to my friends, many of them in this room right now, and it's like, is this something that's common knowledge or is this something that I know because I'm a journalist? You know, like there's it there's it's always like like really do people not know that you know like maybe if there's a group of seven people and only four of them were included saying you know being quoted maybe it's because the other people never spoke in the in the article maybe they didn't say anything that added anything to the article you know it's not that you're that as a journalist you're excluding them purposely it's like you know so just little things like that that i'm just like yeah people don't know how media works anymore and i think that there's also influencer culture that maybe younger fans know more and they think that that's what it is 
And then you see it with, I mean, I'm not throwing YouTubers under the bus, but you see it with YouTubers too, right? So it's kind of like there you you're being compared as to like why aren't you you know like oh the best the best interviews are with youtubers and it's like well yeah because you know they want to get clicks so they want to appease you but anyway that's another conversation <laughs> for for late night spicy <laughs> spicy twitter talks but um but yeah just like you know there's there's a lot of misinformation and lack of information and i think that you know i guess as a person i don't think that i'm i have the authority to tell people that like oh you need to be educated about this but it's kind of like if you're going to be throwing insult insults on the internet like at least at least know what you're talking about yeah i can speak to that personally i think that critical thinking is important on all sides in terms of um, the fans that are consuming the articles, the journalists writing the articles, the editors, the publications, uh, even the interviewees. I had a situation um, this year where um, I was, I interviewed a few people for an article and someone that I interviewed, a producer, a music producer, um, was upset with the final um article because she felt that not everything that she like not all of her answers that she gave me was included in the article and if you understand how journalism works and you know you're often given a certain amount of space to to write like a word count like an essay kind of like 500 words well maybe not 500 words 700 words uh to a thousand words maybe, and you just can't include everything. You can't include everything that everybody gives you. You can't include all of the information that you're given in your interview. But this music producer then went on to kind of slander me online. And, you know, it's, I think that empathy is needed. And sometimes just reaching out and asking, you know, what what it what was the process that went into this um this article being written? Can you enlighten me? And then maybe you would tell them, you know, I didn't choose that title. I you know I'm the freelancer. I don't have that kind of power to choose the titles. The publisher that that has the final say, or a picture that was used that fans might be upset with. It's like I didn't choose that picture. You know, just empathy and reaching out to people um, rather than sort of the knee jerk reaction of attacking. Um, I think that's important. And I think also on the side of journalism, um, respecting the subject that you're talking about, because, you know, we can kind of trash fans or, or critique the fans, but ultimately this is something that means a lot to people. And I think a lot of fans just want to know that journalists are doing right by some something that they love. So... Everybody needs to do better. I think we can all have a little empathy for each other and more more emphasis on critical thinking, please, in schools. Start early. Yeah, go ahead, Natasha. Um, I was going to say, I agree. I think Tasia hit, it, hit the nail on the head perfectly. So... I would say just on the part of journalism, I think research is so important. 
So as long as we go into it with research and respect, I think that's honestly the best that we can do for for ourselves and for the subject. But I agree that on the part of fans, critical thinking is so important. Like I cannot be, or my 1,500 words cannot be everything to you. I cannot cover all the things that you want. And I'm so sorry if you think that I did not give Jimin enough praise. Like, I can only do the best of what I've been given. And at the same time, like, the journalist can't be everything to you as well. Just because I tweet that I do not like permission to dance does not mean I suddenly hate BTS. And I think that we would all just be so much better if we can understand that people are allowed to have their opinions and an opinion does not mean that you turn around and you you hate on people. So I think, yeah, there's just the importance of critical thinking is so necessary. It, it doesn't have to be turn around and attack because there's a sentence that you don't like. So I think that's the best that we can do. Yeah, why? So um, something that, I've thought about, and I will all I I'll always have in the in the back of my head whenever I pitch or whenever I write a story or I do a hosting gig or something is, um, at the end of the day, yes, there's critical thinking. That's literally Tasia and everyone else who spoke before me literally, literally had it a hundred percent correct. Like they're right. At the end of the day, the most important thing is making sure whether you are a fan, whether you are a writer, whether you are the subject is making sure you're mentally prepared and, and healthy for this. Because sure, it's it's an industry where it's going to be, you're, you know, whether you are a freelance writer, especially if you're a freelance writer, Crystal said it's a competitive space for sure. It's it's competitive, it's repetitive, so on and so forth. Um just make sure that your your mind is at a right space whenever you're doing your own work. When you get criticized, when you get all those tweets, when uh, your your DMs get flooded, um, be prepared. Always, I don't know if this is the right advice, but be always be. I always like to be prepared for the worst. Um, make sure that you set your boundaries for yourself too. Um, I guess that also goes along with critical thinking, but just making sure that you're okay at the end of the day um, is what's best. Because at the end of the day, it's you have yourself. Life will still go on, even with all those criti- criticisms and all those things that are on the internet. It could be unhealthy for you, uh, obviously. Um, words hurt, obviously, uh, that too, but... Um, just make sure that you are taking breaks, you're staying hydrated, you're healthy, you have a roof above your head, you know, um, journalism, media overall is is a mess. It is a mess, but it's um, it's rewarding. It's, it's, it's definitely rewarding, but you got to make sure that you're healthy at the end of the day to, you know, be on the long run because this is a, it's a, it's a venture. So there's that. Thank you. <laughs> Yeah, thank you, Light. And thank you, everyone, um, even if you're not on stage right now. Um, I think we had a lot of really great comments from um, speakers earlier. So any final mic drop or forever hold your peace comments? Nope. Got ones? 
Do it twice. Okay. Well, shout out to uh, Tasia Assis. Um, I'm probably mispronouncing her last name. You can follow her at underscore uh, T-A-S-S-I-A underscore A. Uh, she couldn't join the live session here, but uh, I was reading off a lot of her comments. So uh, please give her a follow. You can let her know that uh, you, you think that her comments were brilliant, um, insightful, and that uh, she's a beautiful person. So you can send all that positive feedback uh, her way. Of course, you can follow all the other speakers on stage um, right now. And uh, also, um, everyone tweeting along using the hashtag K-pop chat. I, I, you know, we weren't able to bring up all the tweets and everyone asking to come on stage. Just we're already way over time. Um, but uh, hopefully you can continue that conversation with new mutuals, new people um, in the audience. Oh, okay. Mic drop comment here. Uh, Alexis, go ahead. I don't know if it's a mic drop, but I just wanted to say that you should not tweet something nasty at someone that you wouldn't be able to tell them to their face. Yeah, that's a really good rule of thumb. Uh, and then Sarah R. I agree with that. And also uh, in the spirit of shooting or shot, I hope this is okay, but I'm really excited that um, I have a book that's coming out next Tuesday. Um, it's called The Bones of Ruin. It's like supernatural hunger games in the 19th century London. And, um, you know, I'm really excited about it. It's coming out next Tuesday and you can order it now. And if there's a lot of journalists here, <laughs> but if there's anyone that wants to link up and maybe do a story or review or anything, I can get you guys an early copy and, um, yeah, boost, follow me. And I love you guys. Thanks. Bye. <laughs> that, that made me feel good. I, and I've got uh, the book pulled up on my Amazon webpage right now. So. I was going to say, I'm almost done with the book, Sarah, and it's so good. So I, I, got an, I got an advance. But yeah, we, we'll talk offline <laughs> or Yay. off this chat. Congrats. For, for, for everyone here, I put it on the spaces so you could scroll up and send your love to that tweet. There you go. Click on that tweet. Yay. Click on that link. We'll keep <laughs> Thanks, open so you, everyone gets a chance to click on it. <laughs> um, and while you're clicking on that link, again, scroll to the top of the room here to, to click on that, that book order. Um, you can join us again next week. I'm not sure what topic we're going to talk about next week, but um, same place, same time. So 5.15 Pacific time. I, I don't know if we need to get into the habit of extending the hours of these uh, to go a little longer as well um, in the future. But uh, if you have an idea or a suggestion on top of what we should talk about next week, um, certainly all yours. So um, thanks everyone. Um, and, and great conversation. And we'll, we'll, we'll talk again. Um, and, and uh, bye bones of ruin. Bye everyone.